0: Well, as the great Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that, my friends, is about the only way to sum up what we saw last night. Wendy Nix, Sam Otto, and Rod Gilmore here with you the day after we crowned a new national champion, the same one we saw last year, Georgia the first team in the AP poll era to repeat. No matter how you slice it, guys, it was complete domination by Georgia from start to finish. And, Rod, I don't know what there is to say, but I'll let you start with your initial thoughts.
1: I don't know, Wendy. Uh, taken to the woodshed, a beat down boat raced. Uh, I'm not sure which one you want to use, but, but they all work. I mean, I think we, most of us expected Georgia to win the game, but not a beatdown like that. I mean, I think this says something. I think this says that Georgia is now the bully... Of college football, they they've supplanted Alabama as the bully. Think about how they started the season with a beatdown of Oregon by 46 points—a good team out of the Pac-12—and then the 58-point beatdown out of the top team of the Big 12. Uh, you know, Sam. To me, this says that we have a new bully on the block, and it's the Georgia Bulldogs. And I don't think they're going anywhere
2: anytime soon. And the fact, Rod, that they were able to repeat as champions, I mean, that's something that's so rare. In the CFP era, we haven't seen a repeat champion. What does that mean? That means that there's no entitlement, right? The last time we saw a repeat champion was 2011-2012 in Alabama. It's hard to win consistently because entitlement starts to settle in. Complacency starts to settle in. We didn't see any of that with this year's Georgia team. We saw Stetson Bennett finished with his best game, six total touchdowns, over 300 yards, two rushing touchdowns to add to his already eight rushing touchdowns, which is better than he had last year. We saw guys on the defensive line dominating, hunting. We saw Chris Smith forcing a first-quarter turnover. This team did not flinch. They did not blink. They came to hunt. They came to win. They came to solidify their legacy, and that's exactly what they did. I will say this. Kirby Smart always talks about respect. He always talks about you're either elite or you're not. He wanted to put his stamp on that film, and every single one of those Georgia Bulldogs stamp is on that film for all of eternity.
0: Well, Sam's so stunned. He doesn't know what to do. He's still standing out there on the beach. He's, he, he doesn't even know which way to turn, Rod, <laughs> a day after this game is over. Uh, but, listen, you're both absolutely right. And uh, what a tremendous accomplishment. Obviously, we'll talk a little more about what this means for TCU. But we, we, you got to tip your cap to Georgia and what they did. Of course, they were elated after their second consecutive national championship. Here's their reaction. It really is a tremendous story. And and here are some numbers for your perspective. If you thought it was one-sided, you were correct. Georgia's 58-point beatdown, the largest ever in a title game, over three touchdowns more than the previous largest win. Three touchdowns. The 65 points, also the most ever in this game, and it's the largest margin of victory in the AP Top 5 matchup since 1944. And what really got my attention, Sam, is that it started from the outset. I mean, it was really never in question from the very first Georgia possession. It was complete domination. Uh, We talked about what this means, how difficult it is to win back-to-back championships. But when you look ahead, when you talk about this Georgia program and what it means going forward, Sam, where are we?
2: Uh, uh, We are ascending and ascending quickly. I mean, Georgia's for the last four years, has had top three recruiting classes now everyone watched that national championship all these high school recruits that are trying to flip and figure out where they want to go these late signees people who might be 15 16 17 trying to figure out where they want to go everyone wants to go to georgia now if they didn't want to go there before number one number two you know you're going to the nfl last year they had 15 players selected in the nfl draft oh by the way Six in the first round, five on the defensive side of the ball. So here for a defender, you're saying, man, i got to go to Georgia. And then lastly, we saw a couple receivers transfer into Georgia coming in just a few weeks ago that are going to be on that team this year to add to guys like A.D. Mitchell, uh, guys like Arian. Like, that's what's happening right now. The weaknesses of Georgia are becoming strengths, offense like we saw this year compared to last year. Defense is still dominant, and this team is ascending. I don't know who's going to be in their way.
1: Yeah, but Sam, can can we just stop with all the noise about Georgia being disrespected, nobody believed in them, you know, uh, people thought they were going to go seven and five. I mean, Kirby keeps pulling this out, and his team keeps buying it, and, you know, great, but it doesn't wash with the rest of us. We know that's not true. (laughs) Come on now. I mean, we know right now Georgia just reloads the way we used to talk about Alabama reloading. You know, and if you take a look at next season already, Georgia's going to start as number one, right? And if you look at their schedule, (laughs) they're not going to lose a game. I mean, pencil them into the playoff right now, and we'll see if they have a chance to repeat. But that schedule, one shot, maybe Tennessee, maybe, but I doubt it. So I see them going undefeated, getting to the playoff. And here's the thing. If Georgia does the unthinkable, And gets a three-peat, they will be chasing and maybe wiping out Nick Saban and Alabama's legacy. Nobody does a three-peat. You can't find that in football. I mean, you got to look at other sports, you know, Michael Jordan and and Kobe Bryant. But in in football, if they do a three-peat, they're coming after Alabama's legacy.
2: And it's the motivation, Rod. That's what I'm hearing that you're saying. Like, Kirby Smart knows how to motivate his team, as does co-defensive coordinator Will Muschamp, who I played for back at Texas when he coached us in a national championship game back in 2009. As does Todd Monken, offensive coordinator who coached this Georgia team last year in a national championship. They have a unique way of blocking out the noise and staying so focused and using all that outside uh, I don't even got to call it real noise. Call it fake noise, right? Like, oh, they didn't believe in you. They, they, they're, they're undervaluing you. <laughs> he plants those seeds in his team. Outside, no one believes it. But on the inside, and you've been in locker rooms before, you start hearing that stuff or believing that stuff. Uh, we saw it in the NFL with Jamal Williams. He said, man, nobody believed in us. Nobody picked us. And they went and they beat the Green Bay Packers. This is a, this is a sports phenomenon, but Kirby Smart has really bottled it up. <laughs> I think he can continue it in the future.
0: Well, it reminds me of these great Patriots teams all those years, guys, when they were winning the Super Bowl seemingly every year. And every year they'd be picked to win from from day one. And somehow Belichick had them believing (laughs) that nobody on earth respected that. Oh, you're terrible. Everybody says you're bad. And you started to think you were the crazy one. Like, yeah. am, I, am I crazy? I, I, I'm pretty sure they were the favorites. <laughs> but listen, it works. Uh, and that's exactly what Kirby Smart played into this year because I'm not exactly sure people thought Georgia would be terrible. But nonetheless, I'm not sure we thought they'd be this excellent either. <laughs> uh, a different story, clearly, for TCU. You know, in that case, there really was some disrespect. And then this won't help that cause, uh, that performance last night. So here, the other side of the spectrum, the reaction from the Horn Frogs last night. Rod, I'm sure he was disappointed, and in large part because whether you mean for it to or not, it does color the rest of the season. It was just such a dramatic failure last night that you can't help but think of that when really this team did accomplish so much. You know, what happened to TCU last night, Rod?
1: Well, listen, um, let's not get it twisted. TCU was a definite underdog, and... They shot themselves in the foot, but I'm not sure it would have made much of a difference. Look, they earned the right to be there, especially with their win over, over Michigan. But you could tell right from the start that that team was not comfortable. It wasn't confident. And, you know, sometimes, and Sam, Sam relates to this, sometimes in a game or a big game, you get so worked up. Your emotions get you distracted, and you can't do your job. And you're not focused and and really dialed into what you need to be dialed into. And give Georgia credit because a lot of what they did with some shifting and some motion, that played into the distraction. And instead of guys being comfortable with doing their job, you get a blown coverage. You get a missed tackle. You get a failure to get into a gap. We saw the quarterback, Duggan, start off with two uh, throws where he kind of pulled the string and didn't let it go. And, you know, that has an impact. Everybody looks at their leader and goes, geez, he's not, he's not going. We saw, we saw a player carry the ball in the wrong arm, leading to a fumble on the sideline. All these little things that you normally wouldn't do, they weren't comfortable and relaxed and dialed in. And that's not being ready for the moment, not being ready for the big stage. You heard Sonny Dyke say it. He looked around, saw his guys were wide-eyed. And look, they had four guys who played in a bowl game before, and this is an experience. Had they played up to their capability, they would not have won this game. But it would not have been a beatdown by 58 points.
2: I'll say this, Rod, to your point, to a lot of people in the national audience, national media's point of saying, man, the committee should be ashamed of getting TCU. TCU had five wins come from behind, down by double digits in the second half. TCU beat four, if not five. AP top 25 teams. TCU beat Michigan, the second-ranked team in college football, the team that was undefeated and then beat Ohio State. TCU belonged, TCU deserved to be there. The difference was TCU did not have the experience right. that Georgia had. I was talking to Todd Monk and I was at their walkthrough before the game, and I, over, I was with Ben Watson, who's worked with the ESPN, went to Georgia. And he was talking with Ben about the fact that he's like, oh, yeah, well, last year this game fell on a, you know, on this day, on a Monday. And next year it's going to be on a Tuesday. But like this is that experience of like how yeah. to practice, what days to travel because he's been here before. Yeah. TCU has not been there before. But you have to give them credit, number one, for getting there, for earning the right, for beating everyone they needed to beat, even though they lost in overtime in the Big 12 championship. They still got in because USC lost as well. And then they beat Michigan. And so TCU belonged. And, and you, the best point you made, that in my opinion, all your points are great. But one of the best points I've heard was that <laughs> even if TCU played their best, they wouldn't have beat Georgia. Even if Michigan played their best. Even if Ohio State Ohio State played their best, then they lost against Georgia. And so Georgia peaked at the right time. That's what we saw. And unfortunately, TCU was on the short end of the stick.
1: Yeah, Sam, you're so right. I mean, TCU belonged in that game. They earned the right to be there. I don't have any question about that at all. And I think most people will and should accept that. But you could tell. I mean, you you and I both, the first couple of series, we could see how wide-eyed those players were and that they weren't playing and moving with confidence. And, you know, blown coverages, those blown coverages really hurt them early. And that is simply, you know, being so emotional and so worked up that you're not doing your job. And that really, really let the game get away from them very, very quickly.
0: Rod, you're exactly right. You know, watching it, after watching that first series or two, you could certainly tell the, the stage was large. But you kept thinking, I did anyway, they'll settle down. In a minute, this will be just football. Let's see yeah. what they can do. And I, and I agree. I'm not sure that it would have ultimately meant a win. But I don't think it would have meant this. And I think that's what has to be disappointing if you're Sonny Dykes and TCU. But nevertheless, a, a really successful season uh, nonetheless. Still to come on College Football Live, Georgia becomes the first team in the AP poll era to win back-to-back national championships. Has the tide turned? Is Georgia the new standard-bearer in college football? And our way-too-early look at the 2023 season. Will it be headlined by the usual suspects who will be next year's Cinderella story? It can be done, and it was done last night at SoFi Stadium. The cover of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution simply read, Perfect, following the largest win ever in a college football title game, and the Dogs finished the year a perfect 15-0. and We've said it before, why not again? Georgia, the first team in the playoff era to win back-to-back national titles. The last team to do it before the playoff, the BCS era, Alabama, 2011 and 2012. Georgia, the fourth team to do it in the last 40 seasons. Count them, 40, with all four of those teams winning with the same quarterback. Here was David Pollock's reaction last night from the field. I don't necessarily think he's wrong, but only David Pollock could say that straight to Nick Saban sitting right next to him. And you just read the expression on Coach Saban's face. Uh, but listen, Sam, you know, is he right? Has Georgia taken over? Are they the new Alabama, if you will?
2: Well, it, it seemed like David Pollock took, took hold of Nick Saban's soul when he said those words, the way his eyes went down <laughs> and went did. back up. Uh David Pollack is right for now. He's right for now. There there are two separate conversations, right? Georgia's won back-to-back national championships. We're talking about a potential third. That's, like, unheard of, especially in college football. It's so rare. But the difference in Georgia and Alabama, at least forget Georgia, Alabama and anyone, is that there's an 11-year span of six national championships. That's consistency. Right now, Georgia's got the two, but you need more time to prove is this Can this championship-level, championship-caliber winning be sustained? The 2009 season, the game was played in January of 2010. I was in that game when Nick Saban, Alabama, beat Texas. That was the beginning of the dynasty. I graduated. I went to NFL. I played nine years, and Nick Saban was still winning. He had won six in that time. That's the difference. So if if Kirby Smart can do that, then of course you're going to say, "Man, he's taken over." The different conversation is right here, right now, where we stand. We all fully expect that to happen.
1: <laughs> hey, Sam, David Pollack gave Nick Saban exactly what he needed. You know, he's got the disrespect <laughs> card now. I mean, they put me on this stage and they disrespected me right to my face talking about Georgia has supplanted us. And they're talking about our program. After all we've done over the last 12 years, we've been supplanted. That's what they think of you. That's what they think of us. That's, that's the disrespect card he gets to play right now. But David Pollock isn't wrong. You're right. Georgia is now the bully on the block. It's the team that everybody fears. It's the team that people talk about when they say, did you see them walk on the field? Did you see how much bigger and faster they were than TCU? Now, people forget. You know, a missed field go with Ohio State allowed them to get in this to this game. But there's no denying that over the last couple years, Georgia has been coming and they are here now. And so, yes, for the short term, as you said, they are here and they're coming after Alabama's legacy. If they do a three-peat, they will have it. Do you know how hard it is to three-peat? We haven't seen it in professional football in more than 50 years. We haven't seen it in college football in 100 years. So if they pull a three-peat, oh, it'll be more than just being the bully on the block. They will be the program that people look at and say they did something that even Alabama couldn't do.
0: Yeah, uh, Rod, and and you're right. The three-peat is rare. Uh, North Dakota State has done it twice in the last decade, but that's on the FCS side. Shaq, Kobe, and the Lakers, the last major American men's team to three-peat. That was in the early 2000s. The Yankees also did it from 1998 through 2000 but it is so incredibly difficult although to David Pollock's point this is a young Georgia team and we also talked a little bit about their schedule which is favorable for 2023 listen uh, nobody's going to crown a champion just yet though certainly not everybody else and so let's talk top teams for 2023 I would imagine Georgia ride will be among them but I'll let you tell me who's your top teams for the next season
1: Well, without a doubt, my top team for 2023 is Georgia. I've already mentioned that I I don't see anyone on their schedule that will knock them off. I think they go undefeated, and then we'll see what happens in the playoffs. I I have uh, Michigan ahead of Ohio State primarily because J.J. McCarthy coming back, along with Blake Corum. That's That's a cool thing, I think, for Michigan. USC, tougher schedule this year. You know, they'll get Washington and they'll get Oregon. It'll be a tougher haul for USC. Uh, I think Notre Dame will be good. I just worry about the Notre Dame schedule. They ha- they face a whole lot of tough teams. So this is the way I see it. I see three SEC teams in the uh, top ten, three Big Ten teams, and then a little sprinkling of a Big 12 team and a couple of Pac-12 teams and Notre Dame.
2: Yeah, and I have Georgia as my top team as well, followed by Michigan. But here's the thing. We said way too early for 2023. I was thinking, like, when the season ends, like, at the end, like, super too early, like, at this time. So I threw Washington in there as my surprise team, right? Thinking about a team like TCU, a team that nobody really yeah. believed was going to be that high. I'm thinking, man, when all said and done by the end of the year, Michael Penix Jr., led all of college football in passing yards. I think they're a team that's going to be uh, Kaylin DeBoer, head coach. There's a team that's going to be shining and really uh, thriving. The Pac-12 has really risen, so you see a couple Pac-12 teams in there for me, obviously USC being one of them, and so that's my top, that's my way, 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 way too early uh, top 10 teams for next year.
0: Way, way, way too – you can't be way, way, way too early, Sam. Everybody's already excited. Uh, we do have a number of really fun matchups early next season, including, by the way, Florida State and LSU. They will square off in Orlando. Florida heads across the country. I think this is interesting to visit Utah, Tennessee, and Virginia meet in Nashville. And Dion Sanders, Coach Prime, his tenure in Colorado begins his tenure. They have a road matchup at – where you ask? At TCU. Uh, gentlemen, listen. You uh, all right, I'll give you this Sam. This might be way too early, but it's not going to stop me. What about Heisman contenders for 2023? <laughs> Who should we have our eye on? Well, I don't
2: I don't know why I don't think this is too early where I thought the other one was too early, but I think Caleb Williams should obviously be the answer. I say obviously you know we talk about back-to-back Heisman winners, but Lincoln Riley consistently produces Heisman trophy winners. It's three if not four. I think it's been three in the last six years. He's produced Heisman Trophy winners. Now you get another year in this offense, another year. uh, Obviously, you might be losing Jordan Addison to the draft, but you're going to get more weapons, USC, better recruiting class, transfers, everything you need, Caleb Williams has. And then Lincoln Riley has the mind to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm going to hire an inside receivers coach, an outside receivers coach. I'm going to go and get Travis Dye like they did last year as a transfer to have a dominant running game. And so, and Jones as well, like, I think about this USC football team, they're so balanced. I could see Caleb Williams repeating as a Heisman Trophy winner.
1: Well, yeah, of course you do. You're hanging out in the beach in southern, sunny Southern California. <laughs> you get to contemplate these things, Sam. I get it. <laughs> but listen, man, um, as, as a Heisman voter, for me, it is way, way, way too soon. I care about production. I want to see somebody produce consistently over time, which is why I have player X. I want to see the guy who performs and earns the right to go to New York. I don't want it to be about the hype, the preseason hype, the way too early hype. Let's have somebody perform and earn the right. Now, beyond that, yeah, give me a list with uh, Caleb Williams makes perfect sense. You know, as the defending Heisman winner, Blake Coram, had he not been hurt at Michigan, probably would have been in New York. And like you mentioned earlier, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, he's going to put up some big numbers again this year. And Washington has a chance to win the Pac-12. And if those two things happen, Michael Penix Jr. could really be a guy that is a dark horse who really finds his way to New York.
0: Well guys, you know what? We say it's way too early and, and really it, it it is, but it comes quick, you know, it'll turn around and we'll be in July with media days and talking about conferences and talking about what's next before you can even say uh two thousand twenty three. By the way, Rod, if you're paying attention, it is not so sunny California right now for Sam Macho. I don't I don't, I don't again, Sam.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And I got to say, Still this, at the Ron, beach. What, what
2: can I do to become a Heisman voter? What can I do to become a Heisman voter? Like, what do you all do? I mean? Like, you got the, you know, the, re- the regal, the royalty. How do I get into that category?
1: Uh, we're going to start the campaign for you right now because we could lop off. Let's go. Put you on. <laughs>
0: Just stay where you are, Sam. Just stay at the beach. It'll all work out. You You just stand right where you are as we continue here on College Football Live. Some notable names are coming back for more from Cam Rising to Blake Corum. We'll talk about returning players and what they mean to their respective teams. Well, with the 2023 season, 2022 season now in the books, it's time to talk about who's coming and who's going. Uh, How about this video from Utah quarterback Cam Rising? Uh, Pretty cool. He'll be back next season as a six-year senior, he announced via Twitter. Uh, He led the Utes to -to back-to-back Pac-12 championships. Michigan running back Blake Corum will also return to school. He's likely a Heisman candidate, Ohio State tight end Kate Stover also announcing he'll come back for more. He'd move from linebacker to tight end this season, where he did a great job replacing Jared Ruckert for the Buckeyes. And then, of course, there are those who will move on. Certainly, the Georgia Bulldogs will begin the task of replacing these two. As Jalen Carter and Keely Ringo have announced, they will head to the draft as expected. Uh, but listen, guys, they're are some names that I think we probably expected to declare for the draft or certainly thought Sam there was the possibility instead you heard some of those guys who were coming back Uh, when you look at that list or perhaps elsewhere who is the biggest benefactor here from guys who are choosing to stay for another year
2: I'd have to go with Utah and Cam Rising coming back and the reason why is that you saw excuse me USC is starting to become this powerhouse but Utah is still in the way. Utah and Cam Rising have won back-to-back Pac-12 titles. They beat USC twice this season, once in the regular season and once in the Pac-12 championship. We talked about Caleb Williams wanting to win the Heisman, USC trying to get back into the playoffs. Sure, maybe you can go even losing that, but you've got this major, massive roadblock that's stopping you from getting into a, not only being a Pac-12 champion, but potentially getting into the playoff. We saw it happen this year. And so I think the biggest benefactor is Cam rising, deciding he's coming back and maybe trying to get a free Peter's Pac-12 champs at Utah.
1: Yeah, you know, Sam, um, I think the biggest benefactor really, you know, people like us, college football fans, you know, having the stars come back is a really, really cool thing. And if I had to select one guy, I would say Bo Nix at Oregon. I I think Bo Nix coming back gives Oregon a real shot. I think if Bo Nix had stayed healthy, Oregon probably wins the Pac-12. And speaking of the Pac-12, no other conference has a collection of quarterbacks like the Pac-12. I mean, you mentioned Cam Rising. You know, uh, Rising is amazing. We've seen Michael Penix Jr. um, And you talk about... The other guys that they have, uh, Caleb Williams, uh, Ken Ward of Washington State. I mean, I I think you have to go back to maybe 1988 to find a better collection of quarterbacks in the Pac-12. That was when Troy Aikman and Rodney Pete were there. They had eight of their ten quarterbacks make the NFL. So I think this is a special group for the Pac-12, and I think if these quarterbacks play as we expect them to, the Pac-12 will be relevant. But it's also going to make make it really, really hard for a team to go undefeated in the Pac-12 because a hot quarterback, that's all you need to take a team down, and the Pac-12 will be loaded with great quarterbacks this season.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, Rob, because uh, in the preseason, we talked about the ACC that way in terms of their stable of quarterbacks, and so many folks were confident that it was as deep as any in the country. Uh, Now you talk about the Pac-12, and you're out on the West Coast. You know, what's this mean for the Pac-12 as a conference? How confident are you that we'll see a resurgence and perhaps a Pac-12 team go a bit deeper than we've seen in the past few seasons?
1: Well, I think we're seeing it, Wendy. I mean, I think this season the Pac-12 had its best year since probably 2016. And I I think that's because of elite quarterback play. And I think that's what's going to give them a chance. The problem is there's so many good quarterbacks in the conference that it's easy to get nicked, you know, by one of these quarterbacks. It's hard to go undefeated in the conference. You know, Caleb Williams and Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Cam Rising, These are all NFL guys, you know, and Cam Ward probably will be too. That doesn't even include uh, Jaden DeLara over at uh, Arizona. They've got great quarterbacks. So I think we'll continue to see the Pac-12 rise and to play well uh, as they did this season. But getting an undefeated team, that's going to be a problem because one of these quarterbacks, that's all it takes
2: to knock you down and keep you from being undefeated in the conference. And to your point, Rod, all these quarterbacks are hungry. Think about a guy like Cam Ward who was really surging throughout the season and and threw some interceptions late. And he's getting a new offensive coordinator who wants to come and win at Washington State like he won at Incarnate Word. Think about guys like DTR who's coming back, wants to win, wants to prove UCLA is on the map. Cam Rising, Caleb Williams. There are so many uh, Bo Nix, to your point, who if he would have been healthy, he could have been the Heisman conversation. There are so many really good quarterbacks and my concern, to your point, I feel like I'm repeating you, but it's Will these teams knock each other off and keep each other from getting to the playoff? I think that's kind of the next conversation. Sure, we're adding to this 12-team playoff. That's coming soon. But what happens is you get the best teams playing each other. They may knock one another off and not be able to make it to that playoff. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, we've seen that before, guys. It's a bit of a double-edged sword and perhaps the case for the Pac-12 next season. In the meantime, between now and then, we still have a jam-packed January schedule. Plenty to go around. The Spanish Super Cup Finals Sunday the 2nd, the annual Monday night wildcard playoff game next week. The Cowboys taking on Tom Brady and the Bucks and the UFC 282 Saturday the 21st. A little bit of everything this month on ESPN, ABC, ESPN Deportes, and ESPN+. Plus. Coming up. All the stars were out in L.A. last night, including Coach Prime. The new Colorado coach has high hopes for a return trip next time along with his team. Well, look, Sam, it, it has to start somewhere, right? And obviously Colorado hoping that uh, Coach Prime is the guy to get their team uh, back to relevance. Is, is, where, where are they? How how far is Colorado for being back with Coach Prime uh, perhaps competing in the playoff?
2: Uh, Colorado has a way to go. They were 1-11 last year. We know how bad they've been over the last five years, even the last decade. But here's the thing. Deion Sanders has a vision. He said we got to get there. He was at that game. He saw the Georgia players up close and personal. He saw that dominance, so he understands what it takes. That's why he's going into the transfer portal, not just getting any players, getting players from places like Arkansas, places like Florida. Uh, He has 20 players from the transfer portal, the number one ranked recruiting class as far as the transfer portal is concerned here's the great thing about Deion sanders as well people know that where he goes he wins he said i'm not hard to find and so now he knows what he's looking for but i think other players as well want to come and build with him and so yes they have a long way to go but once once you cast that vision and see that vision and believe that vision you'll be able to get there even when no one else believes
1: Hey Sam, uh, you think we can rock the hoodie with the sport coat and look that good with it?
2: <laughs> not even close. Not the shades. Not, the coat maybe. The shades uh, not, I'm not there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, l- listen, man. I'm, I'm buying the hoodie with the sport coat, and I'm I'm buying I'm buying uh, Deion Sanders at Colorado, man. i I'm, I'm buying it. We have seen that you can turn a roster and flip a roster fast. We saw USC and Lincoln Riley do it last year with 20-plus transfers. We saw TCU do it. And we're seeing Colorado flip their roster. Now, I had a couple Colorado games this season, and their coaching staff complained about the fact that they could not get transfers in because of their requirements, and it was a problem. Now Colorado has tweaked that, and you see the change. Now they've got, what, 20-plus guys in the transfer portal that have come over, been admitted, and that's a, that's a recent change in their admissions about how they go about accepting credits. So this is a huge change for Colorado. I am buying that this roster is being turned over, and that 1-11, they're not going to see that again. I, I think this, this team is, is going to win five, six games and be in the hunt. I'm buying Deion Sanders and the turned-over roster at Colorado.
0: And you know what, guys? If you don't take anything else away from this season, it is this, and that is the portal has changed things. And, and now, especially Colorado, being able to accept credits, the portal makes it extremely possible to turn things around more quickly than we saw years ago. You don't have to sit out. You don't have to wait. And every year, I think now, we're going to see teams go from worst to first, so to speak, the same way we do in the NFL via free agency. It has changed college football, and there's no reason to believe that Colorado can't turn this thing around sooner rather than later. Uh, Still to come, uh, speaking of turning things around, the college football playoff set to expand. Will that mean no more lopsided losses like the one we saw last night? It is a cure-all, cure-all, or is it? Well, you see Georgia at the top as we take a look at the last ten national champions. Of course, the top two teams, the same team, the Georgia Bulldogs, but you'll also see Alabama several times, Clemson, uh, a number of SEC teams represented. and, And what you're seeing there, I think, Rod, as a whole, is a relative lack of diversity. I mean, it's a good thing for these programs, but you're seeing a lot of the heavy hitters, a lot of the same names. And as we talk about playoff expansion, which won't be next season, but the season after we'll go from four teams likely to 12, I think a lot of folks are saying, okay, it's an instant fix, right? That, that means we don't see this lopsided nature of things. We won't have a national championship game like the one we saw last night. I'm not sure that's exactly the case, that you're just going to flip a switch. Uh, but what do you think will be the repercussions of playoff expansion in terms of the diversification of these names?
1: Well, Wendy, I think it's a good thing. I've got three thoughts about it. The first one is, I think it's great for college football. It's great that the entire country will be interested. You know, the last six years or so, the West, West Coast has really been left outside of the playoff and not interested in paying attention to it. So having teams from all regions of the country involved, I think, will be great for the sport and great for fans. Uh, The second thing is, you know, with a 12-team playoff, it's sports. You know, anything can happen in sports. It's why we play the games. You know, TCU beats Michigan when no one expected that to happen. We have a walk-on quarterback in Stetson Bennett who becomes an all-time great quarterback, two-time national champ. So these things can happen. Bizarre things can happen. But the reality is college football is ruled right now by the SEC and the Big Ten, primarily the SEC. The SEC has won four straight titles, six of the nine playoff titles, 13 of the last 17 national championships. It is still the conference, along with the Big Ten, with the most money, getting the best players, spending the most money on facilities. It's going to get richer. It's going to get better. So in terms of more diverse winners in the short term, I don't buy that. I still think we're looking at the SEC and the Big Ten as your national champ, Sam, in the next few years. Maybe over time it changes, but first couple years, I, I, I don't see a change.
2: I couldn't agree more, Rod. I love you. You were painting this beautiful picture of all these. Almost like the background, right? This beach and the water and the sand. And the, it's been raining all week, guys. I've been in the rain. It's like it's not as pretty as you think. It's been cold and rainy. I've had to use hand warmers. These, this playoff, this 12-team playoff, will be nice and more teams and more intrigue and maybe home games. Whatever. When the, when it all comes down to when the rubber meets the road, the best teams are going to win. And recently, it's been the SEC teams. And I think likely when it comes down to those semifinals and. and championship games, we're probably going to see blowouts. We saw it this year, a 65 to 7 blowout in the championship game. Last year we saw it in the semifinals, the year before that, in the semifinals as well. And so it's it's fun and exciting and it's a beautiful idea. When it comes down to it, the best teams will win.
0: Oh, come on, guys. We need a quick – everybody loves a quick fix, right? We don't want to wait. We don't want patience. We don't want a real change. Uh, but anyway, I agree with you, Rod, though. Uh, it certainly is, I think, will be good for college football, and to have the whole country interested is a positive thing. Last night, there was one final game. Today, there's one final team coming up. We take one final look at the images of the year. Well, Super Wild Card Weekend culminates Monday night, tomorrow night, tonight at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. It's a Super Wild Card Weekend right here on ESPN as we look now toward the NFL playoffs. But before we do, one final look at the 2022 college football season. I miss it already, guys. One word to describe this season. I'm going to go with surprise, Rod. What's yours?
1: I like surprise. I also like change. You know, just a couple years ago, we were talking about Alabama, and could anyone ever deal with them? And now it's about Georgia, and we have so many stars coming back next year. I'm really excited about next season.
0: Sam?
2: The one word to describe this season is beautiful. This season, from start to finish, was beautiful, pristine, majestic. That's three. But I'll just say beautiful.